Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a three-week series called Reflections in the Wilderness. During this series, you'll hear from different leaders sharing what God's been teaching them in this challenging season. Thanks for joining us. Well, good morning, everybody. It was kind of fun to see Luke mess up there. Usually when I'm in meetings with him, he's the smartest guy in the room. So it makes me feel just a little bit better about myself to know that he was completely blanking out. So thanks for that, Luke. Hey, if you're joining us online, so thankful you are gathering with us. If you're in the room, thank you for being here as well. It's always good to pursue life together uh, this way. So have you ever had a moment in your life where you were listening to a song or a book or having a conversation or reading the Bible and God just broke in? Like he wanted to get your attention in that moment and you knew it. And in the past month, I I was reading through the Gospels. I'm reading a book, The Harmony of the Gospels. It's just the Gospels lined up in order so we can see the chronology of Jesus' life. So I'm reading through the Gospels and a verse stood out to me. And then I'm mowing in the backyard and listening to this book that I bought two years ago uh, and had never got around to listening. Isn't that the way God works, right? Like he hits you from both sides when he wants to get your attention. And, And I knew he was breaking it. The book I was listening to was called With by Sky Jathani. Uh, there's a picture on the screen. And so the framework of the message today and the counterfeit ways that we're going to talk about uh, needs to be attributed to Jathani and his book. But through this scripture and this book that I was listening to, I knew it was God breaking in. And he wanted to get my attention. We're in a three-week series called Reflections in the Wilderness. In the past two weeks, Jeff and Steve have shared what God has been teaching them during this time of COVID, and today I get the opportunity to share with you as well. So I want to invite you to open your Bibles or your devices, tablets, to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 3. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 3. It's in the New Testament, probably about two-thirds of the way back in your Bible, if you're getting used to that. Second of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark. So Gospel of Mark, chapter 3. As you're finding your way there, I I just want to bring us up to speed of what's been going on in the first two chapters of the Gospel of Mark. Jesus' ministry is just getting started. He's been baptized. He's been tested in the wilderness. He's begun to share the good news of the kingdom, and he has started calling some of his disciples to follow him. And then in chapter 3, he sets apart 12 people that he's going to build into over the next three years. People he's going to apprentice over the next three years. These are commonly referred to as the 12 disciples, which means students. But I prefer the term apprentice. And I've shared this before. If you're following on your notes, an apprentice is someone who spends time with Jesus to learn from Jesus in order to do the things Jesus did. That's the progression we see in the life of the disciples. And this is what it means to follow Jesus. So I want to invite you to read together the first gray box on your notes, or you can find this on your screen. This is the setting apart of the 12. It's found in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 3, verses 13 to 15. Would you read this with me, church? It says, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him. 
and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. I want you to notice in verse 14, if you're following in your notes, Jesus called 12 apprentices that they might be with him. Jesus, first goal of discipleship, of apprenticeship, is that his followers would be with him. He also appointed them to go out and preach and have authority in his name to heal people and drive out demons. But I want us to see, this takes place in chapter 3. The apprentices don't go out and do those things until chapter 6, which infers that they were not ready to go out and serve. They were not ready to go out and do these things until they had spent time with Jesus. That was the first priority. And it's this idea of with Jesus that has gripped me. And as I continued to read the Gospels and listen to this author, it finally became more clear to me why this idea of being with Jesus is so important to me. Because I've related to Jesus in other ways than being with him. And these counterfeit ways, they have caused frustration, confusion, doubt, shame, guilt, and even self-hatred. And I believe relating to Jesus in these counterfeit ways that we're going to look at today is the reason many people, particularly young people, are leaving the faith today. And then this thought crossed my mind. I remember where I was in my backyard mowing. I remember Jesus first breaking in and saying, you've lived all these counterfeit ways. And then the next thought crossed my mind, I want my boys to know about this. I want middle schoolers and high schoolers to know this. I want adults to know this. I want everybody to know this because if we can get this right, I think it could change the trajectory of our lives. I think it could help us live with Jesus each moment of each day and experience his presence, his power, his peace, his joy. It could spark a greater faith in us, a faith that is not based on controlling and using God, but based on being with Jesus and our lives then flowing out of that posture. So today, if you have ever felt like, or if you currently feel disappointed with God, or you think there must be more to faith than what you're currently experiencing, then I am praying our time together will help you. Because when we grasp this idea of with, instead of relating to God in counterfeit ways, it can change everything. And that's what I'm praying for today. Would you join me in prayer as we, uh, as we keep going? God, would you speak to us today? We need to hear from you. I pray my words would be your words and your Holy Spirit would move in this room and move through our screens and that you would speak to us the words we need to hear. God, would you convict us that we were created to live life with you. God, thanks that we can gather this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen. But before we get to the counterfeit ways though, I, I want to talk about God's posture toward us. And then we'll move into our posture towards God. If you're following in your notes, God's, God has always desired to be with us. 
We have to start with that. He's always desired to be with us. I would contend this is one of the major themes in the entire Bible. Try reading the Bible sometimes through the lens of the story of God wanting to be with his people. He goes to great lengths to accomplish that. We can see from the beginning, the opening pages of the Bible. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, we can see this on the screen. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We, we have to start there. We were created in his image so that we might live in relationship with him. And when Adam and Eve sinned, just two chapters later in Genesis 3, the relationship with God was broken and there was no way they could make it right again on their own. And we're all just like Adam and Eve. We've all sinned. Our sin separates us from God. The relationship is broken and we can't make ourselves right with God no matter how hard we try. So to rescue a people who could not rescue themselves, to restore the broken relationship, to be with us, if you're following in your notes, God sent Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. God came to us because he wanted to be with us. Jesus is the image of the invisible God who came to this earth to do the will of the Father. And have you ever thought about this? Have you ever thought about the fact, if you're following in your notes, and this is a freebie. I forgot to take out the word. So it's like a Labor Day special. You don't have to work so hard. So fulfilling God's desire to be with us is why Jesus went to the cross. That is what the cross is about. Yes, it's where sins are forgiven. It is. It is where sin and death are defeated. But if we peel that back, the reason we're forgiven and the reason we're rescued from sin and death is because God longs to be with his children. On the cross, Jesus took the penalty for our sin. He died our death. He endured a kind of separation from God that we deserved. And now, with the barrier of sin and death defeated, by Jesus on the cross and in his resurrection, the way has been opened for us to be reconciled with God. All that remains is for us to place our trust in what he has done. And this is so important because it's my story. And I'm wondering if it's any of your stories, this idea of with God. Because growing up, I heard about expressing my faith in Jesus so my sins could be forgiven. But if I'm honest, following Jesus was more about a ticket to heaven or a get out of hell free pass. I don't think I actually desired to be with God. And what we need to know, if you're following on your notes, if being with God isn't the goal, then God becomes a means rather than the end and the treasure. If we don't long to be with God, then we're just using him to get what we want. John Piper captured this problem well. You can read this quote on the screen. He said, Christ did not die to forgive sinners who go on treasuring anything above seeing and savoring God. And people who would be happy in heaven if Christ were not there will not be there. The gospel is not a way to get people to heaven. It is a way to get people to God. Life with God is the end 
and the treasure. From the opening pages of Genesis to the end of the Bible, the theme of life with God can be found. We looked at Genesis 1 in Revelation 21, the next to last chapter in the Bible. We read these words. Would you actually read these with me on your screen at home or in the room? I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. If you're following on your notes, friends, all history is leading to God being with his people. God's desire has always been to be with us. That's what he longs for. And he went to great lengths to accomplish that. So what I want to do together for the next few minutes is explore how we trade life with God for four other counterfeit ways that leave us feeling disappointed, frustrated, unfulfilled, stuck, possibly even ready to walk away from God. The pattern we'll follow is this. I'll explain the counterfeit way, and then we'll look at what Jesus has to say about that, and then I'll share where I see this in my life, and then I'm going to ask you where you see that in your life. So that's the plan and the pattern that will follow. The first counterfeit way, if you're following your notes, is life over God. Life over God. The prevailing attitude in this posture, if you're following in your notes, is I don't need you. I don't need you. Most people who are not yet followers of Jesus fall into this way of living, life over God. They're in control of their own lives, and they don't need any help from God, or there's no God to help them. Most non-believers fall into that category. But this counterfeit way is not limited to those who do not yet follow Jesus. Plenty of followers of Jesus live this way as well. This shows up when God simply has no bearing on our daily existence, right? We go through our day without acknowledging him, thanking him, depending on him, spending time with him. We just live life as if he doesn't exist. Author Trevin Wax captures the seriousness of living over God, even though we say we are followers of Jesus. I'm going to put this quote on the screen. Trevin Wax says, A practical atheist is someone, despite all he professes, lives and makes daily decisions as if God doesn't exist. A practical atheist is a person who comes to conclusions about money, business, worship, entertainment, ministry, education, or whatever else without the directing influence of God and his revealed truth, the Bible. Instead, for him, cultural assumptions and societal trends serve as the directing influence for how he thinks, feels, acts, and lives. Friends, this is the reason why 91% of people in America can say they believe in God according to recent surveys. Yet our country doesn't look anything like 91% of people following the way of Jesus. We just live as if we don't need him. In the Gospel of John, Jesus spoke against this life over God posture 
In John chapter 15, he's teaching his followers. Notice this, it's his followers he's teaching this to. Not non-believers, but this is the last supper where he's gathered his 12 apprentices and he says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Y'all know this, but our problem typically isn't that we don't do anything. It's that we figured out how to do a whole bunch of stuff apart from Jesus. Most of us are pretty good at making things happen and getting things done. And if we're honest, there are days where we just don't think we need God's help. But Jesus says those things we accomplish without God won't last. They amount to nothing. Most important to God is our life with him. And this, this happens subtly, right? It starts with one day and then two days, and then a week, and then a month, and we just fall into this life over God posture, there are days where my schedule is so packed that I just wake up and I barge into the day, and I don't even think about God. I don't spend time with him. I don't ask him to guide me. I don't ask him to give me a heart for others, and this is the scary part. My day can go pretty good without God. And then I start getting prideful and think, wow, I'm pretty good at these things. And I need to remember that those things I do without God will not bear fruit. And it's not the God that, the good that God is interested in. I need to remember those things amount to nothing if I don't do them with him. I need to remember that I was created for a life with God and ensure that I'm spending time with Jesus. So where do you see this life over God counterfeit way show up in your life? Where do you live without Jesus? If you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm so thankful you're here and I'm thankful you're joining us online. I want to say to you, God longs to be with you. He wants a relationship with you. It's why you're created. And today can be the day you tell him you want to be with him. You'll have time to do that a little bit later as we close. And if you say you're a follower of Jesus, but you live most of your life without him, then let this be the day you change course. Admit that you've lived life over God and you want to live life with God. We were created for life with God. The second counterfeit way, if you're following in your notes, is life under God. It's life under God. And in this posture, we see God in simple, if you're following in your notes, cause and effect. Cause and effect, right? We obey his commands and he blesses our lives. We obey his commands and he blesses our families. We obey his commands and he blesses our nation. Right? Our primary role is to determine what he approves or disapproves of and work vigilantly to remain within those boundaries. That's how we relate to him. Cause and effect. But the irony, the irony, if you see that, is a life under God posture, it's actually trying to exert control over God. Right through our obedience, we put God into debt. And we expect him to do our bidding in exchange for our righteous behavior. I mean, this is, this is dangerous. Because if we live with a life under God posture, or we teach this to the next generation, we are setting ourselves up for disappointment in God. 
Because inevitably, when God refuses to submit to us and submit to our attempts at control by way of behavior, we can become cynical. And in many cases, people abandon the church and their faith as well. I've seen this happen time and again. I did this, God didn't do this, I'm out. There was a, a football player uh, in 2010, and he dropped a touchdown pass in the end zone in overtime that would have won the game for his team. And the other team got the ball, went down the field, scored, and his team lost the game. After the game, he posted on Twitter, I praise you 24-7, and this is how you do me. You expect me to learn from this? How? I'll never forget this. Now, we may not have the public platform of a professional football player, and that we may not have as extreme examples of that, but this life under God posture can show up subtly in our lives when we believe God will reward or punish us based on our behavior. I'm not talking about consequences. There are consequences for our behavior, but I'm talking about cause and effect relating to God. And at every opportunity, Jesus dismantled life under God. His culture was dominated by a life under God posture. The Jewish culture 2,000 years ago had a belief that God followed a simple formula, cause and effect. God blessed the righteous and he cursed the unrighteous. And Jesus addressed this head on in chapter 9. When he came across a blind man, his disciples said to him, Rabbi, why is this man blind? Did he sin or did his parents sin that caused him to be born blind? You see the life under God posture here, right? Blindness was a curse, a judgment handed down by God in response to someone's disobedience, cause and effect. But Jesus quickly refuted that assumption. And in John chapter 9, verse 3, he actually says, neither this man nor his parents sinned. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And he restored the man's sight. Jesus wanted everyone to know in this story, God was not a God of simple formulas. He's not a God of cause and effect. I still remember this day. I was standing in right field. It was the spring of 1991. I was standing in right field uh, for my high school baseball team. I was in a terrible slump. And I remember having a conversation with God that went something like this. You probably know how this is going to go, right? God, please let me get a hit. I'm a good person. I've prayed. I've read the Bible. I've gone to church. Just let me get a hit. Uh, there was something going on, right? I didn't have words for it when I was in high school, and I couldn't name it, but it was a life under God posture. And what I was saying is, God, in case you've forgotten... There's a cause and effect formula here. And I've done my part, and now it's time for you to do yours. And I still notice that I can fall into this life under God posture when things don't go my way, particularly in parenting. I mean, I, I, I struggle with this. God, I've done these things. I've raised my kids in God-honoring ways. Now it's your turn to ensure my kids obey. And I find myself, when I enter into this posture, inevitably I get frustrated or disappointed with God because his response to my behavior isn't what I thought it should be. Where do you see this show up in your life? 
Where do you relate to God in a cause and effect way? Is it at work? Is it in parenting? Is it your finances? Is it your health? God, I've lived a certain way. Why am I going through this? Where do you see that show up? Because we were not created to live life under God. We were created to live life with God. The third counterfeit way that we practice is life from God. Life from God. And people in this category want God's blessings and gifts, but they're not particularly interested in knowing God himself. God is kind of a divine vending machine who exists to supply our wants and needs. And because consumerism has come to dominate our culture, this is widely popular today, right? Sometimes it's called consumer Christianity, the prosperity gospel, health and wealth preaching. In a life from God posture, God exists to supply what we need. And when we relate to him this way, God really has no inherent value. He has no inherent value. We're only interested in his usefulness for us. And what I've seen in the years that I've been a pastor is that when people have a life from God posture, it carries with it, if you're following in your notes, a what have you done for me lately attitude. What have you done for me lately? And when God doesn't bless us the way we think he should, we're tempted to get out. I've seen that happen. That's the result of living in these counterfeit ways. The parable of the prodigal son is recorded in the Gospel of Luke chapter 15. And in this story, Jesus told of a son who demanded his inheritance before his father's death. It was a request so disrespectful that it was a capital crime. But the father allowed the young man to take half the inheritance before leaving home for a far country and squandering his property in reckless living. The story is a vivid illustration of life from God. The son valued the father's gifts more than he valued the father. Ultimately, the son only cared what the father could give him. And once he possessed it, the relationship wasn't necessary anymore. And he walked away. When we live a life from God way, we value what God can do for us, but not God himself. When I began following Jesus in my 20s, I remember times where I could not understand what was going on in life. Because as a follower of Jesus, I just had this thought. Maybe you've had this thought too. I thought I was exempt from trouble or exempt from disappointment and suffering. This shouldn't be happening to me as a follower of Jesus. And I remember listening to a message online and the teacher said something that shattered my life from God posture. He was talking about all the ways that we think Jesus should bless us when we make a decision to follow him. And then he said these words, when we come to Jesus, we get Jesus. We get Jesus. And he is better than anything you could ever want in this life. And that began to break down my life from God belief. And I want to say to you today, Jesus is better than anything you could ever want in life. And while following him doesn't exempt us from trouble and disappointment and suffering, it does mean that he is with us through it. 
He's better than anything else you could ever want. So where do you see this show up in your life? Where do you relate to God in this way? Life from God. You're more interested in what he can give you than himself. We weren't created to live life from God. We were created to live life with God. And the fourth counterfeit way, it's the most celebrated of postures among Christians. It is, if you're following your notes, life for God. It's life for God. And what this counterfeit way communicates is that the most significant life is the one expended accomplishing great things for God. When we live this way, we find purpose and meaning through what we do for God. And when we accomplish things for God, it's often at the expense of participating with God. We can subtly assume, if you're following in your notes, a you owe me attitude. You owe me. There's a very real danger of confusing with God and for God. So if we go back to the story of the prodigal in Luke 15, there was another son. He's only referred to as the older son. The younger son comes to his senses. He comes home. He asks his father for forgiveness. And the father throws a party because his son who was lost is now found. And the older son is not too happy about this. Notice where the older son roots his significance. We're going to read this on the screen. This is Luke 15, 28 to 30. Notice where the older son finds his significance. It says, The older brother came, became angry and refused to go in, into the party for the younger son. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving, read this, for you. And never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. The older son lived for his father. And for his service, he expected a reward. You owe me. In this way, he really wasn't that different from the younger son, right? Neither boy was particularly interested in a relationship with the father. They were both interested in what they could get from the father. Both sons were lost. Both sought to use the father. The older son just seemed to be a little bit more socially acceptable. Life for God has been my greatest temptation. I've believed that I am loved for what I do not who I am. And this has fed my drive to do things for God instead of joining God in his work. And many times when we do things for God, we're then congratulated for it and told you're doing a great job. It's just like gasoline on the fire. And what started to happen is my value was rooted in what I could accomplish for God. That's where I found my identity. The more successful I was, the more God loved me. And conversely, in my failures, I would feel disqualified to even serve him sometimes. I'm recovering from this posture and learning my identity is found in whose I am, not in what I do. And I've only learned that by spending time with Jesus. So where do you see this show up in your life? Where are you striving for significance? Where are you trying to earn something from God? 
Where does that show up? I hope you can see where these counterfeit ways of relating to God lead. They don't lead to the life Jesus wants for us. Life over, under, from and for God, each seeks to use God to get to another goal. God is seen as a means to an end. And these counterfeit ways leave us unfulfilled, unsatisfied, disappointed, frustrated, and ready to give up on ourselves and ready to give up on God. And they're dangerous counterfeit ways for us to practice, and they're really dangerous counterfeit ways to pass on to the next generation. But life with God is different because its goal is not to use God. Its goal is God. He's the treasure worth more than anything else in life. I want to go back to the story of the lost son. The entire story ends with the father saying to the older son, we can see this on the screen in chapter 15, verse 31 to 32. This is how the story ends. My son, he's talking to the older son here. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. What brought the father joy was not the older son's service. It was his presence, having his son with him. This was what the father cared about most, not his property, not his money. Go ahead and take it. While the sons were fixated on their father's wealth, the father was fixated on his sons. Most important to the father is having his children with him. Do you believe that is the way God feels about you? The most important thing to him is having his children with him. And he went to great lengths to make that happen. At the bottom of your notes, we've left some blank space for a response. We're going to give you a couple minutes here. We don't often take time in life to slow down and be quiet and think deeply, and we want to provide that for you. I want you to jot down any thoughts that the Lord may be speaking to you during this time. I believe the Lord speaks to all of us. And so what is he saying to you? What is it? What would be a next step for you this week to begin to embrace a life with God? God way of living. Maybe it's admitting that you've been living in these counterfeit ways. I've been help, it's been helpful for me to sit out back this summer and, and just say that actually out loud to God and name the counterfeit ways. And then I've started my time of reading the Bible and being in prayer with the phrase, God, I want to be with you this morning. It just gives me a frame of reference of what my goal is. If you're not a follower of Jesus, this can be the day where instead of living life over God, you can begin living life with God. Write that down. And if you have walked away from the faith, if you're in this room or you are online and you have walked away from the faith because of disappointment in God, I believe it's because you've lived in a over, under, from, or for posture instead of with him. I want to invite you to come back to life with God today. He longs to live life with you. 
So we want to give you just a couple moments. What has the Lord been saying? Write your response down. joining us today. If you would like more information or to stay connected to Cherry Hills Church, please visit our website at cherryhillsfamily.org or follow us on Facebook.